war veterans, uh, people that were just on the front lines right in the thick of it, and uh, people in Vietnam and uh, that were just on the point. And uh, when you talk to them and you see what they went through, it's just unimaginable uh, what they had to endure. But they did it for this country because they love the country. They did it for you, and they did it for me. And we owe them a huge, huge debt of gratitude. So this uh, Memorial Day weekend, as you're gathering with your friends and family, uh, I would encourage you just to take some time and get along with the Lord and just reflect at uh, that ultimate sacrifice that was given. A lot of these uh, were just boys, 18, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, just young men that uh, gave their life uh, for you, for me, so that we could have freedom. So I love this church. I love how we honor the military. Pray for your military. Pray for our frontline responders. And just uh, know that God is doing a great thing in this nation. Um, Pastor Gary is on taking some vacation time. Uh, praise God. And he asked me to uh, fill in for him. It's an honor and a privilege for me to be here. But uh, just pray for uh, Pastor Gary just to be Gary and Terry, just to be refreshed and to come back just uh, with a fresh anointing and fresh impact from the Lord. Let's go ahead and get into the teaching this morning. I trust that you have your notes with you. Uh, the name of the teaching is called We've Been Called Out. Uh, I just want to caution you. I'm going to go through some Greek words. And... Uh, there's probably a little more, maybe some of them I won't bring out, but there's just a few. I'm trying to develop, I want you, number one, by doing this, the reason I bring out these original words is so that you can know for a fact, that you will know that this isn't my opinion, this, this is not the opinion of our denomination, this is a fact out of the word of God, out of the original language. I want you to see what it has to say. I really believe today that you're going to, when you leave here, you're going to have a fresh identity. The Lord's been talking to me about that word identity uh, throughout this year. And, uh, he's, and so he wants to bring a strong, firm word, kingdom, identity within the body of Christ. And so that's what he's doing here at Valley Community Church. So let's take a look at um, Matthew 6, uh, 16, 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now take note here that this is what's happening here. Jesus asked them, who do men say? Who do the masses say? Who do the people around us, who do they say that I am? So these, he's describing, this is talking about what men, natural men, processing with natural human reasoning. Okay? Keep that in mind. And then he said to them, but who do you? He's talking to all, that word is plural. He's talking to all of the disciples there. Who do you Say that I am. In other words, what Jesus is asking this question, he was asking, are you able to rise above natural reasoning? 
Are you able to go into a deeper understanding and to see and to think beyond the norm? I really believe that the Lord is asking us today, are you able to look beyond the norm? Are you, be able, are you able to process, to think beyond what is normal? Then Simon Peter answered and said, by the way, this is one of Peter's shining moments right here. And so Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, what Peter was saying is he moved out of that natural reasoning, that religious thinking of the day, and he moved into a supernatural reality by saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. I wonder, did Peter know that he was Peter? We're going to see what this is talking about. He said, I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. By this time that Jesus is talking and this dialogue is taking place, the disciples have been walking with Jesus for a while. They've seen many great miracles and healings. Uh, they've seen the feeding of the 5,000, the, uh, the feeding of the 4,000, that, that great, those great miracles of the provision of loaves and fishes. They've seen demons cast out. They've seen the dead raised. Jesus walked upon the water, stilled the storm, they were also sent out by Jesus and given the authority to do the very same things. And when they returned, they were utterly amazed that even the demons were subject to them in his name. The people had many opinions about who Jesus was, but Jesus wants to get his disciples' faith on solid ground. In other words, beyond mere speculation and human reasoning of the natural. He said to them, let's look at verse 15 again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Of course, that word, uh, what Peter answered, refers to uh, Jesus' deity and uh, refers to the supernatural. Let's take a look at that word Christ. Uh, it's an important word, of course, and it, but it's not Jesus' last name. Did you know that? And so it is the word Christos, and this word Christos is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew designation of Messiah, okay? It literally means the anointed one, and if you want to take it a step further, it means greasy with the anointing to just be saturated with the anointing. He's the anointed one. 
So it's also the word for the Messiah. So Jesus answered and said to him, now this is a very huge key in this verse, in verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed, 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 huge word, this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the key point of this sentence is the word revealed. That's the key point. That is really the subject of the, of the sentence, if you, will, if you will. That word reveal, um, it's, a, it's a dual compound word. Apocalypto, it's, um, it means this, a dual compound word. So it's got two meanings connected with it. Uh, one, the word apa means, A-P-O means uh, away from. It's a preposition that means away from. And kalupto means to disclose or to cover. Okay? So when you put these two words together, it means to take off the cover. Okay? To, in other words, you had something hidden under a little blanket or something, and you pull it away, you're revealing what is underneath. So at this point when Jesus is Say, having this dialogue with the disciples. Remember, Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. Nobody has the ability to become born again. They don't even know what being born again is. They don't even know that concept. So, and this word, and also where he's, what Jesus is about to do is he's about to reveal the concept I hate to even use that word concept. The culture, the reality of the church. This is what Jesus is going to reveal. And in the next verse, verse 18, it says, And I will also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Can you imagine being the disciples at this point? And all of a sudden hearing, I will build my church. And I'm sure that they were looking at each other and saying, what is he talking about? This is a whole new concept. This is the first time this word is used with Jesus. A very large religious organization claims that Peter is the founder or rock that Jesus was talking about that the church is to be built upon. And they're very adamant about this. However... I want to take a look at the Word of God and see, is that really what the Word is saying here? I want to get the truth out of what is being revealed. So that's what we're going to look at in this first part today. The word Peter, when he said, I say to you that you are Peter, that word Peter is the word Petros. Petros. And it means this. It means a large stone. In fact, it's a stone that is about the size that a man can, uh, can handle, that a person could pick up and probably throw. So it's not a big boulder. It's just a rock, that, a good-sized rock that your man could pick up and he could throw it. Okay, so that is what the word Peter means, Petros means. And, it, and here's an important point. This, this word Petros uh, not only talks about that rock, it talks that this rock, this is key, is a piece or fragment of a larger rock. Isn't that interesting? And when Jesus said, upon this rock, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, Jesus uses a whole different word. 
It's the word Petra, not Petros, Petra. And so Petra, P-E-T-R-A, means this. It means a huge rock. In fact, it's a rock that is so huge, it's bedrock. It's a rock face. It's a rock cliff. It is something so large that you can cut a sepulcher into it, a tomb into it. It's something that's so large that homes could be built into the side of it, carved into the rock. And you can look, have you seen that in, I think it's in Arizona or New Mexico, where they've actually got Indian uh, villages and everything cut into the sides of rock faces. And so this is what had happened early on. And so uh, this is a huge, 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 solid rock face. So Jesus is speaking about the rock of revealed knowledge. That he is the true rock, the Christ, which is the solid foundation upon which his church will be built. Now, does Scripture bear out what I'm talking about? Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Interesting, when it uses the word rock there, it's the word Petra. That huge rock face. That large, massive rock. Now this was, they're talking here of when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They were in the valley of Rephidim. And they were thirsting, they had no water, and Moses went and he struck the rock and uh, spoke to the rock, and uh, all of a sudden the water came out. He struck the rock and water flowed and fed them. Let's take a look also at Luke 6, 46 through 49. Jesus said, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Remember, Jesus is talking here. He said, whoever comes to me, and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Guess what word that is? The word Petra, that huge, large bedrock, that, that big rock face. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock, Petra the huge rock face. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Jesus is alluding to himself as the rock upon which the soon-to-be-revealed church will be built upon. Again, let's look at Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Let's look at the, those words, 
I will build. In the, he, in the Greek language, it's actually one word, and it's the word oikodomeo. And uh, it's, again, it's two words, dual compound word put together. And it literally means this. It means uh, to be a house builder. Uh, it means to construct, and the construction of the house. So the word oikos means dwelling, house, or home. And the word doma means to build, construct, listen to this, and establish. So Jesus is saying, I will build. I will establish my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, I like that last phrase, don't you? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, amen? That ought to get you excited. Now, the word church here, this is kind of the whole crux of the teaching right here. This is what I want to get across to you today, is this word church. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Dan, we know what the church is. Well, let's, let's, I want you to really know what it is, okay? And so the word church in the Greek language is the word ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, ekklesia. And it's a dual compound word, two words put together again. And that first word, ek, ek, is a preposition that simply means out from. That's what it means. Uh, Greek is interesting. They have, uh, they have a word, ace, E-I-S, which means going into. You're walking into something. Then you have the word, E-N, in, which means you're smack dab in the middle of it. And then you have this other word, ek, which means you're walking out of where you were. And so uh, right now you are E-N, the church, you're in the sanctuary. And so when you leave, you will be ek, you will be walking out of the sanctuary. So this word E-K means out of or out from uh, a certain point of origin or place. However, you can never, now listen to this, you can never walk out of something and go into nothing. Is that right? Every time you walk out of something, you go into something else. When you come out of the sanctuary, you'll be entering into the foyer. When you, leave the, when you come out of the foyer, you'll be coming into the outside area. And it's the same way in your house. You're in the kitchen, you're in the hallway, you're in the living room. You're always moving out of and into. So this word also has implied with it uh, the sense of moving into something. Are you still with me? I'm, this all makes sense in a, while, a little bit. And then you have the word kaleo, the second part of this word. Kaleo, K-A-L-E-O. It means this. It simply means to call forth with authority. I like that. To summon. In other words, when you put these two words together, ecclesia, you know what, it, you know what it's saying? The called out ones. Those who are called out. That's what the word church means in the Greek. When they heard Jesus say, upon this rock I will build my church, they didn't hear the word church. They heard the word called out ones. The assembly of the called out ones. The gathering of the called out ones. When we read the New Testament, we just hear the word church. And all of a sudden, we, a lot of people, when they see the word church, they think of the structure. They think of the building. So Jesus came to establish 
his called out ones, his body. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. It says, for you are the temple of the living God. Well, that's the end result of that word oikodomeo, the house builder. Remember, Jesus is the master house builder. You are the temple of the living God. You! Look to those next to you. They're the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Oh, praise God. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God on the inside. I love it. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, where did this English word church come about? How did this even happen? Well, it's related to the Dutch word Kirk, K-E-R-K, not Captain Kirk, but K-E-R-K, and the German word Kirke. It's based upon a medieval Greek word, which is Kurikon. Now, this is important. Stay with me. Remember I told you, don't get lost here in all these words. But kurikon, K-U-R-I-K-O-N. Well, what, did that, what is inside of that Greek medieval word? It comes from the word kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S, which means master and lord. When Jesus said, why do you call me lord, lord, it's the word kurios. Why do you call me master? Why do you call me lord? So, you can see that there was, there was actually some heart there to uh, have the building of God, which would be the word oikotheu, which would be house of God. And so, uh, from the, so the mindset is of the constructed house of God or a place of worship. That is the mindset that came from these early times that filtered into our church thinking today. When the translators inserted the word church in the English Bible, they should have translated from the, they should not have, I should say, translated from the accepted cultural Greek word for church, which is kuriakos. They should have properly translated what was written, and they did not. They translated from a word that's not even in the, new, in, in the, in the scriptures there. It, they should have translated the word ecclesia. Because they did not, man continued with an Old Testament mindset of the house of God, the building, the structure, and have not properly taken hold of our true identity as the called out ones. Think of this. What if you said, hey, are you, instead of saying, hey, are you going to church this Sunday? What if you said, use the actual term in the Greek language and translated it properly and said, hey, are you going to the called out one meeting over at Valley Community? Hey, are you, one, are you a Christian? What if we said, hey, are you one of those called out ones? I'd prefer that. You know what? Every time you say it and every time you heard it, Hey, are you going to be at the called out one assembly tonight? By the way, it's at 6 p.m. tonight. Hope you come. <laughs> the called out ones. Remember when God changed Abram's, Abram's name? <clears throat> Told him he was going to have a son. 
waited 25 years for the, for the manifestation. But God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And the word Abraham means father of a multitude. Can you imagine every time Sarah called Abraham to eat? Father of a multitude, dinner's ready. Father of a multitude, hey, take the trash out. <laughs> Father of a multitude, you really need to mow the lawn. Father of a multitude. Every time he heard those words, the reality, the identity that God was setting him up for was being pounded into him and becoming a reality. He became the father of a multitude before the, the child ever showed up because he saw himself as God was seeing himself. What if every time you read in the Bible the word church, you translated it as the assembly of the called out ones? What if you began to think of yourself as the called out one? Let's take a look at it. I want to take a look at this Old Testament mindset of the church. Let's look at Acts 7, 44 through 47. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked, to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. So the Old Testament mindset was to build a house for God. You even see this when Jesus took the disciples up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. When he took a selected few disciples with him and he was transfigured before their eyes. What was the thing that, that, they, that Peter said? Let, let me, let's build some tabernacles for you. Let's build you a house. So that was the mindset. Let's do something for God. Let's build something for God. And this was prevalent with Moses, with David, with Solomon. The presence of God, though, in the midst of people, that was God's desire. So he had them build a tabernacle, had them build a temple, so that God could tabernacle, be in the midst of his people. Ultimately, after the new birth, after Jesus went to the cross, he would be within us. That's God's desire to have fellowship and be with his people, not just on the outside, but to be within us. And that mindset of building a house for God is that natural thinking, who do men say that I am? The New Testament rea reality, again, is what God can do for man what he could, can, and would do for mankind. That's the supernatural reality. Man would become the house or tabernacle of God. I'm going to say this again. Jesus is the house builder. Paul brings about a proper understanding of the house of God, and this is where he's talking here, is about the assembly of the called out ones, the assembly, assembly of the believers. But it, and he says it in 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I am delayed, a right so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church, the ecclesia, 
of the living God. How you should conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the assembling place for the called out ones of the living God. And the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. When you see those two words, pillar and ground, it's talking about strength and foundation of the truth. Did you know that we have been given the gospel, the truth of the word of God, to be salt, to be light in this world amongst unbelievers so that they can see a demonstration, a testimony of the power of God, the love of God, the desire of God to tabernacle with man and to call them out of where they are into the goodness, the greatness, the covenant, the oneness that he has for them as well. Yes, we are the called out ones. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Yes, you are the temple. You are the place of worship. This word glorify, doxazo, uh, means this. It means to recognize, honor, praise, invest with dignity, give a person esteem or honor by putting them into an elevated, honorable position. Nobody deserves that more than Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he deserves all of our worship, all of our praise. The worship, praise, giving honor, and glorifying God is our natural response of the realization of being called out of death and into his life. We are called out to live in covenant with him as children of God within his kingdom. Colossians 1.18 says this, and he is the head of the body, comma, the church, comma, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence, the highest dignity as Lord. And he is the head of the body, the called out ones. Every time you read in the New Testament, when you're reading through and it talks about the body of Christ, you need to stop and you need to say, the called out ones. And you need to remind yourself. It's like Abraham being reminded, father of a multitude. God is wanting to remind you. You're the called out. You've been called out of death. You've been called out of bondage. You've been called out of sickness and disease. You've been called out of lack. And you've been called into my supply. You've been called into the kingdom of God. I hope you never hear the word church the same ever again. You never know. 
you might be thinking the word church and all of a sudden God will let you hear my voice. You don't want that. (laughs) The New Testament is filled with this terminology, just filled with it. The early church understood that they were called out for a purpose. Now, when you read through the New Testament, did you know that our reading plan is in the notes that you get every week? For all the days of the week, you have the Bible reading plan for that day. And we're really uh, wanting this year to get everybody to start reading at least one chapter a day and to read every day and to start journaling something, a little, a little thought on what you, what you got out of that. Maybe it's just a little paragraph that you write down, that something that God uh, said to you or God brought an understanding to you in that. You will see your life change, I guarantee it. But when you're reading through the New Testament, there's these, the word called, calling, to call, is used all over the New Testament. And a lot of people will read that, and they will say, well, that word, you are called, that's talking about somebody being called into ministry. That's, being, that's talking about somebody being uh, called to be a pastor, or called to be a missionary, or if there's some called to be a leader, some special calling. And it's, and it's not for me, I'm not that special, but it's for those, those few that God chooses. You know, that's what that word call means. That is highly inaccurate. Because you're going to see now, remember the word kaleo, called out is talking about all of us. We're all the called out ones. And so I want you to see with new eyes, fresh understanding, to see as I'm reading through these these scriptures that you're going to see the word called. I want you to see that's talking about the called out ones. That's talking about you. That's talking about me. Amen? So let's start with Romans 1.7. I'm just going to go through these quickly. To you, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called called out to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called, called out, and called into fellowship of his Son. Isn't that great? God is faithful by whom you were called into called out and called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called. Who's that talking about? It's talking about us, the called out ones. To those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Oh, this is so sweet. For those he called out, for those he foreknew, he also predestined for them to be conformed into the image of his son. Woo! That he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, we can insert the word called out right there. Because now we know that predestined ones are the called out ones. So moreover, those whom he predestined, those whom he called out. And then it says it again. These he also called, whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Look at Ephesians 1, 15 through 21. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith. Remember, Paul is writing to churches. These letters are to churches. To the called out ones. That's who he's addressing. 
Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, I'll take it, in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, thank you, Lord, that you may know, oh, he wants us to know some things, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That word hope means earnest expectation of something that isn't happening yet, but it's definitely going to take place. He wants you to know what is the hope of being called out. He wants you to know that, the depth of it, what it means. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Whew. And what is the exceeding greatness? Did you see those two words together, exceeding greatness? It, he said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? He could have just said, what is the greatness of his power? We're talking about God here. How great is his power? It's great. But he used another word in front of it, exceeding. How do you get exceeding greatness of God's power? That's like beyond great. I get, I get this excited when I read the word at home. I just want you to know, I get excited. Sometimes i got to put my Bible down and get up and, and start walking around praising. Because it's amazing. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Toward us, you, me, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, being the called out one in which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, just as you were called out in one hope of your calling, being the called out ones. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. 1 Timothy 6, 12 and 13, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Let me just stop right there and say this. Do you know when, you're etern you know when eternal life started? See, a lot of us think, well, when it talks about eternal life in the Bible, that's talking about someday, uh, you know, in the sweet by and by, when I get to heaven, then my eternal life starts. No, your eternal life started when you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. When you accept the position of being the called out one, your eternal life started right then. And let me tell you, there are rights and privileges and benefits connected to that eternal life. And here Paul is telling Timothy, he says, lay hold of it. Grab on to it. Just don't let it lay there uh, stagnant. Take hold of it. You want me to give you a clue of how you take hold of it? One way is to be in the word of God on a daily basis. You won't know what belongs to you unless, you're, unless you get into it and see it and read it for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to impact your life with that truth. And I guarantee you, when you do, Change will take place. That being a called out one will not just be a, a, a position anymore. It'll become a reality. 
and the rights and privileges of being called out will come into manifestation. It will not only affect your life, it will affect your family. It'll affect your job. It'll affect your school, wherever you are. The, the anointing of God will begin to manifest. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Jude 1 and 2. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James and to those who are to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Ephesians, uh, Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, partakers of the heavenly calling, calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.20-21, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, in the called out ones, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. We've been called out of the curse, Galatians 3.13. We've been called out from the hold of sickness and disease, 1 Peter 2.24. We've been called out of mediocrity and on into victory, Ephesians 2.6. We've been called out from the dominion of the devil, Luke 10, 19 and 20, and 1 John 4.4. 4. We've been called out of the bondage of fear and dread, 2 Timothy 1.7. We've been called out of lack of wisdom, James 1.5. Let's go back to Matthew 6.19. 6, and I will give you, the called out ones, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking when he says the kingdom of heaven. He says, I give you the keys of the reign of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth. So we know that this is that reign, that dominion is supposed to take place right now when we're on earth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know that keys, when you think of the word a key, what does that symbolize? Access. Amen? A key allows you to enter into something. It opens a door and it allows you to go in. Listen to this as I close here. And I really am closing right now. <laughs> Romans 5, 1 and 2, last scripture. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You have access. You have the keys. That access by faith into his grace. You know what his grace is? Everything that's been given to the church. Everything that's been given to the called out ones. To be called out brings the understanding of belonging and of personal relationship. It speaks of love, sincere caring and concern. I was in a certain place and now I'm in another that's far different and far better than before. I am changed, both in transformation, being a new creation by his design, love and grace, and in location. 
I now am in his kingdom. I am now one with him, an everlasting covenant with him, with all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities. Yes, you've been called out and into the depth of what he has for us. Amen? Let me end in prayer. Father, we just thank you and we give you praise for all that you've done for us. Lord, for the revelation today of what the church is really all about, that we've been called out and called into. Lord, when we use that phrase, being called out and being called into, it really is the depth, the height of what covenant is all about. Lord, that covenant says You are saying to us, all that I am and all that I have now belongs to you. You've brought us into your all. And Lord, as you revealed in uh, the word, you said that the kingdom of God is within you now. Lord, we thank you for this revelation. Forgive us of small thinking. Lord, forgive us for not taking hold of your word the way we should have. Lord, we repent of that. You've given us a treasure trove of your word. It's just not print on a page. For it tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it says that the word is alive, that the word is living, and the word is powerful. Lord, help us to begin to take hold of the reading plan and at least start reading one chapter a day. And allow this word, this living word, to begin to transform us, to transform our thinking and understanding into the place where we begin to see ourselves as the called out ones. People with a mission, people with a purpose, people with a destiny. And we thank you for it and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Praise God.